Genesis chapter number 16. I'm just going to pick up where I left off when I was hanging over the top of this pulpit. And so here we go right back again. <laughs> and uh, Genesis chapter number 16. And uh, it don't matter what I preach on, Chris is going to come in tomorrow and say, you preached the same thing last time you preached. That's what he's going to say. And you know what I'm going to tell him? Get back in his office, shut up. I don't hear no more out of him. All right? That's what I'm going to say. <laughs> All right, Genesis chapter 16, verse number one. Uh, we'll start there tonight, and we're going to ask God to help us as we understand these passages. And I want to talk to you tonight about what happens when we refuse to wait on God. What happens when we refuse to wait on God? I actually have had this outline probably for four months, and I had not gotten to it. I kept getting stalled and didn't get there. So, Waiting on God is probably the real test of faith for believers, right? I mean, waiting for his direction can, I mean, it not only can seem like eternity, but it just seems so hard to understand why God won't just go ahead and tell us what to do. Why doesn't God move faster? Don't you think that sometimes? Well, let me tell you why it doesn't. If God don't move or show we think like he should, then what happens, we start to do something. So God's testing us whether we're going to trust him or whether we're going to do it ourselves. Now, when you start to do something rather than wait on God, that's wrong. You're going to get in trouble. And, and so we, 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 have a, uh, this, we have this innate, fleshly, ability that we just must act if God's not acting. And most of the time we act dumb when God's not acting, right? And, and so let me give you a verse, Isaiah 30, verse 18. Write it down if you don't have it. Underline it in your Bible. Isaiah 30, verse 18. And go to this sometime when you're thinking, when in the world is God going to answer this prayer? When is God going to do for me what he said he was going to do for me? Look what he said in verse 18. And therefore will the Lord wait that he may be gracious unto you. God's waiting so he can be gracious unto you. Listen, and therefore will he be exalted that he may have mercy upon you. For the Lord is a God of judgment. Blessed are all they that wait for him. Did y'all did get that? You see, God is taking us along as fast as we can stand. He, he, if he took us along any faster, we'd blow up. We couldn't handle it. So God is saying, wait on me, I have good things for you. Wait on me, I have mercy for you. Wait on me, I have gracious blessings for you. Don't act, don't do it yourself. Just wait on my promises. I have great things in store for you. But if you go ahead and act before God says go, then you miss out on all of those gracious things that God wants to do for us. That makes sense? So God is taking us along. Just make this, write this down. Don't think it's in our notes, but write this down. God is taking you along as fast as you can stand. He can't carry you any quicker. And it be gracious and blessed for you. If he carried you quicker, you would not, you'd miss the blessing. You would not, uh, and not only that, look what it says, he'll be exalted. If you can't wait on God, God can't get exalted. 
And, and, and the purpose of us waiting on God and the purpose of prayer anyway, in fact, the whole purpose of our existence is to glorify him. So when we wait on him, he gets the glory. He carries us along at the pace he designed for our life. And when we wait on him and wait on his will, he has wonderful, gracious blessings for us. Well, I kind of like that, but I don't know where you do or not. But this story that I'm reading about tonight lets us see that Bible people are real people. Don't ever get the idea that people in the Bible, well, you know, they wasn't real, or even if they were, they're kind of like Superman and Mighty Mouse. You know, they, they had a little bit different strength than we do. No, they were just people. In fact, the Bible says about Elijah, he was a man of like passions as we are. Made just like you. Feet of clay, a flesh. He has everything that you have. He is just like man. And God says we're all made like that. So don't try to let us think that Bible people are different than we are today. They had the same passions then we have today. Now, yes, they guarded themselves better than we do today. They were a little more moral because they were more guarded in what they did. But if you'd have turned them loose like we've turned our society loose, they'd have been just as bad. But they understood that without God to lead us, that we'd be in a mud hole. We, uh, we understand as believers, we need God to lead us to keep us out of the mud hole. But our country has forgotten it, and many churches have, and many Christians, even in our own church, has forgotten. So um, put Abraham in a business suit, put Sarah in a stylish dress, and throw in a nice-looking housekeeper, and the situation is current news. In fact, they are with the Kardashians. They have a show on television probably. But Abraham wanted his son more than anything in the world. Every ancient man wanted a son to carry on his line. God had promised that there was going to be one come from his bowels whose seed would number the stars. He said, but yet Sarah wanted more than anything to give him that son, and she was frustrated when God didn't answer that prayer. God said, you're going to give us a son. Where is it? I'm getting old. He's getting old. God, uh, we, we, we're looking for that son. We, we haven't had that son. Where is he at? So let's look at what happens when we refuse to wait on God. Now, I want you to see this thing, folks. I, I may even talk about some things tonight I'm not real comfortable talking about, but uh, I want you to see it because young adults and young people need to understand the consequences that one sin at one time in your life can cause you the rest of your life. Better understand it, so follow with me. First of all, uh, I want you to notice the fleshly solution. You see, when we don't wait on God, we have to come up with a solution. So if it's not a solution of faith, it's a solution of what? Flesh. So he comes up in verses 1 through 4, or they do, with a fleshly solution. I have it broke down three ways. The faults, he faults the Lord first. They fault the Lord. Secondly, they find the loophole. 
And then thirdly, they forsake his leadership. This fleshly solution was an Egyptian solution. And by the way, in the Bible, what does Egypt always represent? The world, right? The world. And we have three enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And Egypt in the Bible always represents the world. So he, he, their fleshly solution was an Egyptian solution, which meant a worldly solution. Hagar was an Egyptian. Egypt is a type of the world. So Abram picked her up while he was out of God's will in Egypt. When he was in Egypt, was he in God's will? No. In fact, he lied about his wife being his wife. I'd have left him right then, amen? But she's hung in there with him. And, and he lied, and he was out of God's will, shouldn't have been there in the first place. And so it was far easier for God to get Abraham out of Egypt than to get Egypt out of Abraham. Y'all with me? And it's far easier sometimes for God to get us out of the world than to get the world out of us because we like to keep it there. So too many of us look at things like the world does. Now, I'm going to make a statement. This is going to probably become my, this has probably become one of my uh, sayings for the rest of my days. Because here's what I'm seeing. I'm seeing it in the church. I'm seeing it in other churches. I'm seeing it in homes. I'm seeing it in families. I'm seeing it in nations. I'm seeing it in communities. You see, when you, when you are so unbiblical that when someone acts biblical, you think they're unbiblical. Y'all write that down. That's deep. But it's the absolute truth. We are so unbiblical. When someone acts biblical, we think they're unbiblical. I get so tired of hearing that. Well, that's not biblical. Yes, it would. If you knew the Bible, it would be. If you'd read the Bible, it would be. But you don't think it's biblical because you're so unbiblical. So, church, I just challenge us tonight that we start thinking like biblical people, not like a bunch of Egyptians. You go to Egypt one time, you'll find out what I'm talking about. Don't take but one trip. And so, the, the sin here is not waiting. It, it's a blatant sin of unbelief. Did you know not waiting is a blatant sin? It is. Isaiah 28, 16 says, He that believeth shall not make haste. And if you believe God, why in the world are you going to hurry? What's the big hurry? Because God's going to do what he's going to do. He's already said he would, so we'll trust him to do it. Thank you, Brother Page. All right. If God's already said he's going to do it, we need to trust him till he does it. So if not, we get in the, in the flesh. Listen to what, what, what Romans 14, 23 says. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. In other words, if you cannot do anything knowing that God would approve of it, don't do it. You've got to do it in faith. If you can't make a decision without knowing that God would be pleased with it, don't make that decision. If you can't take a, a habit or a trip or, or do this or do some action and you don't know that God could approve of it, just don't do it until you do. So God wants us to wait here. Some of the people in the church have derived fleshly solutions 
to their problem because God didn't work on their time card. They wanted to punch in in the morning, put a little prayer at dinner, and it, when they checked out that evening, there'd be their check. Don't always work that way, does it? You have to start on Monday and work all the way through to get a check. And then most of you never see it because it's deposited before you see it. Your wife gets it before you ever lay a hand on it, and you never know you even worked. I'm just trying to tell you the truth, because <laughs> that's what Travis told me. I don't know. That's just the way he's, <laughs> what he said. But uh, we, we need to make sure that we are waiting on God, because if we don't, let me tell you what it does. It complicates things. Mm. You see, a lot of people's marriages today are in a mess, and they always will be. They may make it through, but their marriage is in a mess because they didn't wait on God, maybe didn't even care about God, and they made a mistake that would ruin their marriage forever. Talk about that in just a moment. So what we do is when we're, we, we, we get so anxious to get married and God don't seem to be sending the right person. So, so we propose our own solution, and we've helped God out, and we pick one out and say, God, what about him? What about her? What about her? And so we pick one out, and God says no, but we don't hear God say no. We hear God say, uh-huh, and that's all we hear. And we are down the road and down the aisle and take our vows before God. And let me tell you something. You say, well, I was lost. It don't matter where you was lost or not. According to Ecclesiastes, if you make a vow and you defer to pay it, you wished you had. Lost or saved, God holds you to those vows. Marital vows especially does he hold us to. So to their problem, because God didn't work on their time card, there's marriages, there. You see, a lot, lot of kids, a lot of young people there getting married out of lust, not love. Not, not love at all. They call it that. Can I tell you that anybody who wants the wrong thing from you will tell you they love you? Anybody can tell you they love you for a few minutes? Anybody can say all kinds of nice things for a few minutes? What's wrong with us? We act like we take our brains out and lay them on the shelf. And I think I'd have a few times, you know, I just, and I don't think I picked them all back up when I put them back in. But the truth of the matter is, is it, we mess up our marriages because we just think God's working too slow. My wife's not coming around like I thought she would. I remember walking into a, when I, right, right after I was called to preach and I was a bivocational pastor back then, I walked into a home with had a hookup. I had to, I had to go check, and and so as I went into the home, there was a young lady there. I happened to know her, had uh, gone to school with her. I mean, she was a, she was a good looking girl, really good looking girl. I mean, really good looking girl. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and she married this guy who was a nice looking guy. I mean, just really nice looking guy. Uh, probably not as nice looking guy. She was a nice looking girl, but he was nice looking. And here's what she said to me. She was sitting there on the couch with her legs crossed. They've been married about two weeks now, two weeks. 
And she looked up at me and she said, I'm telling you, this marriage stuff is not like they tell it in the books. It is like it's in this book. This book tells it right. But you see what happened? She didn't wait on God. She didn't really care what God had to say. She picked her out one, said this is going to be him. Later on, she picked her out another one. And then another one. And they usually don't go up. They usually go down. And that's what happens here. And, and secondly, in our financial areas, we get upside down financially because we won't wait on God. Well, I really do want that new bass boat. I do. God, is it okay if I get that new bass boat? Well, maybe someday, son. Well, God, I want it now. But I'll be too old to go bass fishing in, in a few years, and, 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 and I want that bass boat right now. And, and so we sat there for a few days and a few weeks, and, and all we can see is the bass boat. Everything we look at looks like a bass boat. Our wife looks like a bass boat. Our dog looks like a bass boat. Everything looks like a bass boat. Next thing you know, you're down at the bass boat dealership. Next thing you know, you have it sitting in your driveway with payments $800 a month. And your wife comes at you with a baseball bat, <laughs> madder than a hornet, said, what did you do that for? And if he'd have been honest, he'd say, because I didn't wait on God. If you can't pay for something, folks, don't get it unless it's an absolute necessity. Don't get it. You say, well, you know, everybody deserves a little fun. Where do you find that about We wasn't made to have fun. We were made to bring him glory. Amen. Now, when you bring him glory, that ought to be fun. But God doesn't call it fun. He calls it something else, joy. Amen. In other words, it's something inside that folks outside don't know anything about. So, so here, here's the third thing we mess up is emotionally. When we don't wait on God, we get messed up emotionally. You really do. It, it'll mess your head up. It, 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 uh, we start to then start saying, well, what if? What if I had waited? What if I'd have done this? What if I had not jumped the gun? And we start what ifing all through life. And we find ourselves 20, 30 years down the road saying, what if? What if? It'll mess with your head. So they said, try Jesus and give him a while. But they say he hasn't done it, so we'll just take this Sunday job and miss church. We asked God to give us another job. He hadn't done it yet, so we'll just take this job and we'll miss church. You know what I'm talking about? We asked God to help our marriage, but God hadn't done it yet, so we'll just, we'll just break this thing off, finish it up. We ask God to give us some good Christian friends. We ask God to give us some people that we can hang out with and go places and do things together. But God hasn't done it, so we're just going to go back to our old friends. And your old friends was in low places, right? So they fought the Lord. You ever thought about that? When you don't wait on God, who are you faulting? Who are you faulting? God. You're saying God didn't do what he said he'd do. It's God's fault. I'm in this shape because of God. 
No, you're in that shape because you didn't wait on God. See, there in marriages, their mate isn't what you think they ought to be. So you'd say, well, I'll have an affair and it won't really hurt anything. Oh, that will. And, and even if you somehow stay together in a marriage, it will continue to hurt you. And not only that, if you have more marriages, it will continue to hurt you. Look at the loophole he finds. Go into my maid. Look at verse 2. And Sarah said to Abraham, Behold, now the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. Who's she blaming? Who's she blaming? Who, who, who has restrained her from bearing? The Lord. I mean, the God of life. I said, you can't have any. That's what she's saying. He's cheating me out of this. So I pray thee, go into my maid. Her hands, her her servant, her housekeeper, her secretary. It may be that I may obtain children by her. And Abraham hearkened to the voice of Sarah. Have you noticed that Abraham didn't seem to have to think about that long? He just took her up on it real quick. So Abraham hearkened to the voice of Sarah. You know why he does that? Because later on when she says something about it, you told me to. Isn't it the same old Adam and Eve story? Yeah, Eve gave to me. Same old Adam and Eve story. So they find a loophole here. Since God's not going to do it, we've got to find out how to do it. So we'll find us a loophole. And so since uh, he has told you he's going to give you a son and he hadn't yet told me I'm going to be the mother, maybe it's just my handmaid here we will go. And so... Uh, in that culture, that was accepted, but with God, it was not accepted. That was a pagan practice. Sarai had heard God specifically say Abram would be the father of a nation, but he had not specifically called her name as a mother. Later on, he does. She found a spiritual loophole to get around waiting on God. Now, folks, I want you to hear me tonight and hear me well, and I don't. And, and it's it's going to hit every one of us. Probably none of us here tonight can probably avoid getting for a moment of conviction under this. God never endorses fornication or adultery. There is no alternative. Extramarital sex. Premarital sex, it doesn't matter what it is, God never approves it. And you can look for all the loopholes you want in that particular sin, it don't come close to having one. Notice what she said in verse 2 it may be. She didn't say, Thus saith the Lord, she said, It may be. You know, Never know, we can just take a shot at it, it might, might work. And then 
in Genesis 15, 13, he says, know of a surety. Look, and he said to Abraham, know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in the land that is not there and shall serve them. He said, he, see, see, what they're doing is Sarah had no assurance. Sarah had no faith now that God was going to do what he was going to do, so she found her a loophole. Now, folks, faith will either give you peace in your life, but faith will never give you doubt in your life. Now, you remember that. Faith will never cause doubt in your life. The devil might, some other things might, the flesh might, the world might, but God will not cause doubt in your life because faith always brings assurance. So we don't believe God because someone tells us to do something, but because we do it ourselves. Y'all don't get that. We don't get in trouble because somebody told us to do it. We get in trouble because we did it. Man, woman, boy, or girl. And the consequences never end. She found a loophole. So not everything, there's some things that's legal but not acceptable to God. This might have been a legal practice, but it wasn't acceptable to God. God never accepted Hagar as Abram's wife. Look in verse number 3, what it says. She says I, that she gave her to her husband, Abram, to be his wife. Sarai said, now I'm going to tell you what that means in just a moment. Y'all ready for this? I'm not comfortable talking about this, but I'm going to do it anyway. Y'all look like y'all are uh, not too bashful, Okay. Sarah comes to Abraham and says, I want you to go into my handmaid. Why did she say, why did she say she's going to be your wife? Let me tell you why. Because in the Bible, when you had any kind of immoral relationship, where it was fornication or adultery, where it was premarital, extramarital, sex, it doesn't matter what it was, in God's eyes, it's a marriage physically. Not spiritually, but physically. You'll find that through the scriptures. If you look in Hosea and Gomer, you'll find it. If you look at the woman at the well, when he says, you've had five. Five what? She had had five affairs. We, we, we would call it affairs. She'd been loose. But God said there was wives, husbands. So you better be careful with that. Those loopholes will get you in some serious trouble. And so a lot of people will try to find a scripture that will get them through those kinds of things. This, this move seemed right, and Abraham agreed to it, and it proved to be successful in bringing forth a child. It did that, but not everything that's legal and appears successful is acceptable. It looks like they had gotten by with their loophole, doesn't it? Doesn't it seem like that some people can get by? I mean, they just seem to get by with whatever they do, and they get by with it their whole life, and others can just do anything and never get by with it. But they thought they'd gotten by with it. See, we sweep things under the rug today. 
and heard people say, you sweep things under the rug. Listen, that's what we don't do. We don't sweep things under the rug here. But when you don't do it, then folks are so unbiblical. When you act biblical, they think you're unbiblical because they're so unbiblical. So here, their loophole looked like it was going to work, but, um, you know, she had all the, she lied with her alibis. She did all those things that looked like it was going to make it work. But let's make a, let, let me just go back. Well, let me, let me, let me finish this and I want to go back and talk to you about that matter of calling a wife. I was trying to write a book when some things happened in the midst of my uh, time off. And so I kind of had to stop and, and never did get all my research done. But I've studied it a great deal, but here, let's make a few more points right quick before I get to that. I think i got time. Um, she, her goal was not for the glory of God, but her goal was for her glory. You don't know why? Look what she says, that I may obtain children. Why was this child to be born? To carry the messianic seed, right? It wasn't for her glory. It was for his glory. And so we're seeing a problem here. And, and if you want to find that out, go to Romans chapter 4 and, and read verse 19 and 20 and also read up a little bit before it, a little behind it, and you'll find some things. Real faith will give God glory. Always. So at 85, Abram could still father a child. So it was not a miracle baby yet. That would be for us. But at 85, it was not a miracle yet. He could still father a child. Later on, the Bible says he fathered a child when he was as good as dead. Now, that was a miracle. Fifteen years later, they get him up out of the coffin and he fathers a child. So that's different. That's miracle, right? But at 85, you know, he could bear a child, and he does. And, and also, I want you to know something else when you have time. Have you noticed that when God gets ready to compare the flesh with the spirit, do you know which story he picks in the Old Testament to do that? In the book of Galatians chapter 4, he picks this story. To describe the flesh and the spirit, the differences. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. It is not subject to the law of God and neither indeed can be. And listen, when you... When there is a sexual immorality inside your marriage or before your marriage or after your marriage or during your marriage, whatever the case might be, it will always be a factor of trust from that day on. You'll never fully trust the mate that was unfaithful. No matter how hard you try, you'll never fully trust. Oh, you will for a while, and then you won't for a while. You will for a while, and you won't for a while. He, the devil keeps bringing it back. He is the accuser of the, even though God washes it clean, the devil keeps it dirty, right? So, the reason I said what I said in verse number three, that she says that she's going to give to her husband Abram to be his wife. How can she do that? Let me show you something. Look over 1 Corinthians 6, and we'll close right here next week. I'll, I'll pick it back up, okay? 1 Corinthians 6, turn there. That's in the New Testament. 
1 Corinthians chapter number 6. Verse number 15. Look what the Bible says. I'm in 7. Here we go. Know you not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of a harlot? God forbid. You say, oh, I'm not a harlot if, if, if I have been immoral one time. Yes, yes, if you're married, you are. That's the biblical term that's used for a married person who is immoral. Now, if it's, you're not married, you're a fornicator. That's the word used, okay? Now, look. He said, God forbid. Know what? Know you not that that which is joined to a harlot is one body. For two, saith he, shall be one flesh. That's what God said. So if you take two, put them together in a, in a sexual relationship, you have one flesh. So if you add another to the picture, you have another part of flesh. But he that's joined to the Lord is one spirit. And look what he said in 18. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. This will be hard for you to understand. I, can't, I haven't got time to tell you all of it, but here's what I'm going to tell you. Listen to me. Listen. When you are sexually active, I don't care where it's 5, 10, 15, 20, 25 people. When you come to the marriage altar, you bring a little bit of every one of them with you. Oh, not me. I've been saved. Just right, you have. Before God, you're as clean and spotless as you can be. Before God, your sins have all been cleansed. There is not one of them. That is, that's not one sin that will ever be held against you. None of your sexual sins, none of your uh, material sins, none of your emotional sins, none of those. God said you are sanctified. You are justified. By but physically, that sin stays with you. You know why? Because it puts an imprint upon your mind. And you say, well, I'll never think about that unless you're fully in the Holy Spirit, you will. Fully in the Holy Spirit, you will. If not, you can't help it. Because that is written upon your mind. And the devil will say, hey, remember this? And so what happens? You forget your husband and you start thinking of it under the standard and then you bring yourself back oh God help me to get this thing right but you can't and, and you wander down the road when people are so sexually active today why they're so messed up they got so much swirling around in their head so much swirling around in their bodies it's etched there and the devil won't let them forget it And until they deal with it biblically, and I'll try to next week talk to you a little bit about that, um, they become so embedded that your romance will suffer. Because what happens, you got to many men in your life, and you got to comparing one with the other, and you got too many women in your life, and you got to comparing one with the other. 
And so instead of having one standard, which is your husband, that when you was a virgin that you married, that's the only standard you ever knew because he's the only man you ever knew, so you'll never be dissatisfied with that person. But when you move on and don't wait on God, decide you're going to help him out because things is not working out the way you want to, you'll wind up committing sins that never goes away. And this sin I'm talking to you about tonight we're going and turn on our television tonight to any news channel and we can see it's never gone away. Go with me. Y'all understand what I'm saying? It's never gone away. Now, I'm going to help you with the answers to some of that next week, I hope. But remember that. Marriage was to keep the flesh under control. So when you allow the flesh to get out from under control, it causes the marriage not to do what God intended it to do. Write that down somewhere. 